The Last Word with Matt Cooper. Today FM. It all happens here. It's time to go to the movies with Brian Lloyd from entertainment.ie. Although our first choice this week is one that goes straight to Netflix this Friday. It's the latest adaptation of Jane Austen's Persuasion. Mm. Why another version, Brian? Why indeed, yeah. I mean, watching this, you kind of wonder why they even bothered because this is terrible. I mean, this is one of the worst Jane Austen. Yeah, this is one of the worst Jane Austen adaptations I think I've ever seen. So what's going on here, for anyone who isn't familiar, uh, Persuasion was the last novel that was published by Jane Austen. It's kind of considered to be her most mature work. Um, It's about a... I suppose in those in the Regency time, an, an elderly spinster. It's Dakota Johnson. She's a twenty-seven-year-old. She had a, br- a brief. That constitutes an elderly spinster. In, th- in that time, in that time, right. it did. In that time, I want to make that clear. In that time, it did. You'd only be coming into your flowers. Anyways, um, so yes, Dakota Johnson plays a spinster who had a brief relationship with uh, Cosmo Jarvis. At the time when they were in their romance, he had no prospects, as it were. She was persuaded by her snobby father, played by Richard E. Grant, to reject him. He went off to the Navy, comes back a few years later. Now he's got a wad of cash underneath him. The two of them rekindle a relationship. But all while this is happening, she's also being pursued by Henry Golding, who people will know from Crazy Rich Asians. He was in Guy Ritchie's The Gentleman. Um, essentially what's going on here is... is you know, they're taking kind of inspiration from the likes of Fleabag. There's parts of this where Dakota Johnson will, yeah, look straight down the camera and address the audience and talk about different characters and what she thinks of them and this, that and the other. And then it has the Bridgerton thing, which is it's trying to kind of update it to the modern audiences by having a multicultural uh, cast. Like I said, you have Henry Golden. I think he's from Hong Kong. Cosmo Jarvis, he's American-Armenian. Dakota Johnson, she's American, but she's speaking an English accent. Um, But also as well, and this is the part of it that people have really, really, especially Austin fans have taken umbrage with, is that the dialogue has been slightly... I would say, finessed to make it more accessible to a younger audience. For example, um, she talks about one of her exes, her exes being a 10. Um, she talks about a playlist. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That is so on Jade Austin. Yeah, isn't she it? talks about a playlist uh, that was given to her by uh, Cosmo Jarvis, and it's literally just like pages full of like sheet music. She's handed a parchment with a, a note on it, and at the end of the note, there's a smiley face. So it's really this thing of like pandering, uh, pandering to younger audience, because there is this kind of. I guess you'd call it like an internet subgenre or subculture. It's called Regency Core. And they are really, really into these. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I yeah. Listen, it's it's a thing. Look it up, Regency Core. It's a thing. Look it up. And they are really into these Regency dramas like Sense and Sensibility, Pride and Prejudice, um, Wuthering Heights, all that kind of jam. And Persuasion is a big one, but. They seem to have rejected this one en masse. I mean, Dakota Johnson is completely miscast. Um, Didn't the she, BBC do an adaptation they did. of this for television recently? They've done loads. There's been, I mean, Kieran Hines was in one, I think, around, I want to say, 1995. And that was brilliant. There was one in the 2000s as well. I'm not sure who was in that one. But yeah, this has been adapted again and again and again. And this one in particular... It's so insipid, it's so needless, and they're trying to put all these kind of accoutrements on by, you know, making it a bit more trendy, having a diverse cast or whatever. It takes away from the essential text, and the essential text is actually a very, very well-written book and a very, very thoughtful, provoking exploration of, you know, relationships later on in life and chances at second love. 
So would people be better off going and finding an old? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, I'm just thinking, there, there seems to be about four film versions of Pride and Prejudice. Yeah, I mean, Joe Wright's one I would argue is one of the best. I mean, that which one, one is that? That's the one with Kira Knightley and Matthew McFadden, um, and it had a great cast. I think it was I want to say it was around two thousand and two, two thousand and three, but it was absolutely brilliant. Tom Hollander was in it as well. There was one in the nineties. That was on TV, and Colin Firth was in it. He played Mr. Darcy, and that one was very. That was a TV miniseries, actually. I think there was like three episodes, of it. but that one was a, a big one as well. And yeah, I mean, like these stories are adapted every few years. They kind of go through a sort of um, a reappreciation, a reevaluation. But uh, this is just absolute muck. And when you say about the updating the language mm. and making it ridiculous, like saying that somebody's a ten or whatever. I mean, should that be saved for sort of remakes as yes. in like Clueless? Correct. Which was a hoot. Yeah. But that was a version of Emma. Exactly. And like there was another Bridget Jones's diary, again, same thing as well. That was uh that based was on Pride and Prejudice. Based on Pride and Prejudice, correct, yeah. So like if you're going to if you're going to update it, fine, update it. Go the whole hog. Set it in a modern time period. I mean, these stories are rich enough and the plot is I guess you could say easy enough to follow that it can be transported to a modern age. You could even put it in the space age if you wanted to. You know, like there's Pride and Prejudice and zombies, like for God's sake, like do you know what I mean? Like they are, they are easy to <laughs> adapt and update. But like this here, like it goes so far and then it stops, and it's just yeah, it's a mess of a film. All right. It's The Grey Man, which is in cinemas from Friday and then on Netflix from the following Friday. But big stars Ryan Gosling, Chris Evans and Anna de Armas. Mm. Any better? Mm, no, I'm sorry. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. Yeah, no, it's not great. It's directed by Anthony and Joe Russo. People will know them. They directed uh, Avengers Endgame, directed Captain America Civil War. Um, this is their first kind of post-Marvel film and you would kind of think, right, you know, Marvel is famous for directing by committee. They have like this entire creative committee that oversees every aspect of the film. And very often is the case that the directors don't actually get to make a huge amount of creative decisions. Now, there are exceptions. The most recent one, I would say, is Sam Raimi when he directed uh, the Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange sequel. It's very weird, very colourful and what have you. But Anthony and Joe Russo were kind of known for being... You know, very much company men. They wouldn't kind of deviate from the formula. So you would think when they come to make the grey man that the gloves are off, they can go do whatever they want and they can make it a bit more kind of ingenious and a bit more kind of uh, experimental. It's not that at all. This is basically just another comic book film. And What's the story? So it's based on a very famous uh, series of thriller novels, airport novels, I guess you'd call them. Um, Ryan Gosling is this, seri- is this uh, serial killer secret agent uh, who's been imprisoned and then is released into the care of Billy Bob Thornton. He's given a second chance at life, but he has to go around uh, killing bad people for the CIA. Chris Evans is another equally crazy uh, secret service agent, or sorry, secret CIA agent um, who is tasked with wiping out the remnants of this program that Ryan Gosling is a part of. Very, very 90s techno thriller kind of thing. If there is something a little bit different about it, I would say it's the fact that Chris Evans is playing this like kind of like his character in Knives Out, which is this sort of really over-the-top villain, almost enjoying every aspect of his villainy, cursing a lot, has this like little trash moustache as well, dresses very flamboyantly. I mean, I will say Chris Evans is the best thing about this. The action sequences are not done very well at all. They're very, very confused and very, very hard to follow. 
that being said, I mean, it's the kind of film that, I mean, I certainly wouldn't be rushing out to the cinema, but if you saw this on Netflix on a Friday night and you have a Chinese or a pizza in front of you, you could easily turn it on and enjoy yourself flick at your phone every so often and you'd be able to follow the storyline. Again, like most Netflix films, it's about 40 minutes too long. A lot of very, very dense and needless exposition in it because, again, it's a techno thriller and it's a spy thriller, so they have to put them in. A decent enough cast, like beyond Chris Evans and Ryan Gosling, you've got Billy Bob Thornton and Yvanna de Armas. Two of them are really, really good together, I think. But... I mean, for the money that Netflix spent on this, they spent something like that. I think it was close to nearly 200 million for it. I mean, for that kind of money, they could have given us the third season of Man- Mindhunter. Like, that's what people want. People don't want another big, dumb blockbuster with Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. Nobody cares. Like, there's enough of them in the cinema. Give us Mindhunter. Give us, you know, something like Mank from a couple of years ago with Gary Oldman. I thought that was brilliant. Like, something that has a little bit more kind of... A little bit more to it. I thought I'd never think I'd say this, but Netflix has made what would be my favourite movie of the year, uh, Hustle with Adam Sandler. Yes, fantastic. Magnificent. I couldn't believe how good it was. Right, and that's it. You know, like the thing of it is, is that Netflix is trying to, uh, Netflix's whole thing is that they're trying to take on the major studios, trying to take on Disney, they're trying to take on Universal by, you know, going to the Oscars and dumping huge amounts of money on the desk of Martin Scorsese and all these guys to try get them to come to Netflix and make films for them. And now they're trying to go the opposite way, which is by making big crowd pleas and blockbusters. And they're going to the likes of Anthony and Joe Russo, who spent their time in Marvel and now giving them money to go make whatever it is they want mm. to make. And they come back with these very, very dull blockbusters. Um, that said, they've given Adam Sandler an awful lot of money for exclusivity. And you know what? I think out of all of the people that they've given these exclusivity deals to, because they did gave one to um, Shonda Rhimes and they gave one to Ryan Murphy as well, I actually think Adam Sandler has has done the best out of it. I mean, okay, forget the ridiculous six or any of those like kind of stupid comedies that he's done. Uncut Gems, a modern classic in my mind. Uh, Hustle, terrific sports drama. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, that uh, stand-up comedy thing that he did as well, really, really heartbreaking, but very, very funny. So yeah, he. I think Adam Sandler is the only one I think that's actually worked how to game Netflix into making good content. Briefly, this is the third release, and hopefully you'll give it a better review than <laughs> you've given the first two. The Railway Children Return. Are you of a vintage that you remember the 1970 film? No. All right, okay. So there was a film in the 1970s that was a very sort of uh, staid but gentle and lovely family drama, and Jenny Agutter was in it based on... I want to say E.S. Eliot's novel. Um, this is an update. It's set in 1944. Same kind of structure of it. Um, children are evacuated from Manchester out of the country in Yorkshire. While there, they're met by Jenny Agutter, who was uh, Bobby in the original. Now she's a kindly grandmother. Decides to take in these three kids. They go on adventures. A big kind of subsection of this film is is that it explores the racism in the American army during World War II, that they actually segregated black and white soldiers. And the black soldiers, for example, were fraternising with, you know, the English... uh, countryside and whatever going into pubs or whatever and American MPs were going around reefing them out of it and arresting them for the segregation laws and what have you um, and the film does kind of address that in a certain way this is fine it's the kind of film you could bring your granny to and there wouldn't be much kind of trouble with it nothing too embarrassing about it it's very very gentle very very comforting has a lovely sort of sepia tone to it if you saw it on ITV2 on a Saturday or Sunday afternoon you'd enjoy it Thank you very much, Brian Lloyd from entertainment.ie. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today.